Okay, so today we're going to be continuing in the book of James. Uh, we'll be thinking through chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. So I invite you to turn in your Bible apps or your Bibles and find that. Uh, chapter 4 in James, verses 13 through 17. Um, what I'm going to do today is we're going to work through each verse one at a time. Uh, then I'll elaborate more uh, on that verse. We'll, go, we'll dig deeper into that, and then I'll, we'll go on to the next verse, so on and so forth, uh, through the passage. So let's get going. So if one were to look up the definition of the word boast, they might find one similar to this. They might find that it is to talk with excessive pride and self-satisfaction about one's achievements, possessions, or abilities. While the words excessive pride and self-satisfaction might not sound problematic at first, it should be concerning to the Christian ear. My intention this morning is to guide us in an effort to look at boasting through a godly lens and maybe see with a different perspective than before. What does society tell us we should be boastful about? Maybe wealth, athleticism, or accolades we might receive? We are fed by society that we can't be satisfied in life unless we have more or become better or do more. Then it seems that if we obtain whatever the society or the world tells us, we should then find that we're, we can also find that we are not satisfied with what we have obtained. So we tell ourselves to obtain more. No matter how many achievements, possessions, or abilities we end up having, we are still left with a feeling of emptiness within. Then there's pride. What does the world tell us about pride? Essentially, that it's okay to be boastful about these said achievements, possessions, and abilities, and to think highly of ourselves. But what I want to draw out today is, as Christians, what God tells us we should strive to be prideful in, and the attitude we should have. I want to zoom in on what God's Word helps us understand about boasting, as well as zoom out as to why boasting is a risky mindset for us. So let's go through the passage verse by verse. <clears throat> uh, verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. When we are born into this world and before we are born again in Christ, we have one worldview, where we are our own God. We don't see anyone we need to honor, please, or glorify other than ourselves. After God changes our hearts toward him, we are challenged with a second and new view on life. One that doesn't just consider ourselves, but considers God. In many ways, we begin to consider God more than anything or anyone. So we awaken to not just one worldview of me, 
but to another of God. Herein lies the ongoing Christian battle of flesh and spirit. We begin to understand that God is in control of our lives, and the very essence of the existence of the universe is under his will. We begin to understand our place in God's creation. Suddenly, we realize we're not such a big deal as we thought, and God is a much bigger deal. We have a God who is our Father in heaven, who loves us and wants the best for us. A God who wants to be close to us and give us life. The Christian knows we have a creator in God. Our desire begins to change away from our own pleasure to a desire to take pleasure in what God tells us we should find pleasure in, mainly his glory. God created us and knows us on a deeper level than we even know ourselves. This is why we shouldn't ignore God in our life. It is wise for us to understand that God is as much a part of a Christian's life as the air they breathe. Much of these same reasons is also why his plan is better. We wouldn't go to an architect and insist that our ideas are better than theirs, that we know how to construct a building better, that we know how the materials fit together best. It's wise to trust the architect. If we don't, our building would very likely collapse. It's the same logic of why God's plan is better than ours. If we were to put a plan together to build a house, we certainly would at least involve an architect, if not completely rely on this person for their knowledge. We would be in communication and relationship with this person. Sure, we can have our own ideas of how we want the house to be, but it would be wise to consider the advice from the designer about the best way to go about it. Much more should we strive to take God's direction in how to go about living our life. The daily decisions we make for the present and future should come from considering what God has to say. We can do this through prayer reading the Bible, and seeking counsel from other faithful brothers and sisters. Realizing God's plan is better helps us appreciate his value more. We should value God in our own life because without him, we know what kind of life we would have or have had. What we would value instead we might appear to be happy and content with our lives, all the while knowing deep down we are lost, confused souls filling up the voids we feel in our hearts with things that only artificially satisfy us for a moment before we fall back into our inner loneliness. A longing for something pure and real beyond ourselves. I don't mean to imply that Christians don't struggle with this world or battle our sin. What I am trying to say is that with God, we have a pathway we know is more trustworthy than our own, than the world's. 
God's plan ultimately leads us to a much greater satisfaction in existence. A faith in a person named Jesus sustains us as we navigate this life, as we find hope in him, and see that this life is not only our life, but a life that is navigated with him. He gives us hope in him. And we see that this life is not our only life, but a momentary snapshot leading to something so great in the next life. We can't even fully comprehend it in this one. One day we will see Jesus in all his glory and exist as we were meant to in a place in heaven that he has prepared for us. So we don't want to forget to consider God's plan in our plans. The more we grow in knowledge of God in relationship with him, considering his plan shouldn't just be an item on our list. His plan needs to become an essential part of our daily living. After a while, we may realize that our plan is really a collection of ideas and changes influenced by his ultimate plan. His plan of salvation is now front and center to rescue us from our sin through his son, Jesus, as Lord and Savior. That his people were never meant to live this life apart from him. That he first created this world for his people to be in relationship with him to praise him and glorify him as their heavenly father. Instead, because of Adam and Eve's disobedience to God's instruction, sin came into this world of which the rest of humanity to come would be born with. Essentially a desire to honor themselves and consider themselves more important than God. I encourage us to strive after God, remembering that God gave us life as our Heavenly Father and Jesus as our Lord and Savior who rescues us from sin and gives us hope of a life much greater than this temporary one, the eternal life to follow. Verse 14. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. It's impactful when we realize this life is temporary. This realization comes with questions. Questions like, what is the meaning of this life? What happens after this life? Does anything happen after this life? What do I do to make the most of this life? All of a sudden, a slight sense of concern can set in as we wonder why we've never considered this before. We look beyond this life to make sense of this one. Once we have accepted God as creator, we begin to acknowledge him as being ultimately in control. It is very easy for us to think we are in control of our lives because as far as we can see, we are. Yes, God gives us the ability to make choices. He didn't create us as robots without a conscience to be manipulated by him. 
But in how he designed us, he has given us the freedom to make choices for ourselves. However, this doesn't mean we are the ones in absolute control. Actually, if we consider God as giving us the ability to do things, like make decisions, then doesn't this imply that God is the one in control, not us? So why does this notion what does this notion imply about tomorrow? That we're not guaranteed tomorrow. Our only certainty is our identity in Christ through our faith. And by God's grace that we have a tomorrow in eternity. At some point we accept we aren't going to live forever. This is partly why we make plans to begin with. Why we might have life insurance or retirement funds. We should take care to not misinterpret this passage in thinking we can't or shouldn't make plans at all. What this passage is partly saying is in what or who we put our confidence and reliance in during our plan making. After all, it could be understood that having life insurance is part of being a good steward of your family and being intentional toward their financial well-being if there's an undesired departure from this life. But we should make these kinds of decisions understanding that even though God has given us responsibilities in this life, we don't find ultimate security in those plans, but instead with God's plan. Making plans, understanding that we make them in light of God being in control, allows our focus and motive to be well-intended. If we are intentional in our planning to glorify God, we can better adjust to changes that occur in our life if and when God decides to turn us in a different direction. We don't have to feel like we've failed when one of our plans fall through. Since we know that God's in control and our trust is in Him. When planning can become sinful is when we are being self-reliant, leaving out any acknowledgement of God. Verse 15. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will do this or that. God has given life to this universe and therefore keeps it going. Without God keeping life going, all that we know would become nothing. Wayne Grudem's book, Bible Doctrine, defines God's will as the attribute of God whereby he approves and determines to bring about every action necessary for the existence and activity of himself and all creation. This definition of God's will implies a lot, mainly being that nothing in this universe happens outside the control of God's will. This makes sense from a creation standpoint, because who else's will would come into play other than his? But it's a lot for us who don't exist in the same way as God does to consider. 
Although the realization that God exists in an infinite way can be overwhelming, it also can give us a sense of security. When we are reminded of God, encompassing all that happens moment to moment, from a breath we take to the sun rising each day, we can trust that God's will is better than ours. God being infinite means he doesn't operate with limits like we do. So we would say that we, as his creation, are, in, are finite, having many limits. It is appropriate then that as creator, God is limitless. He wouldn't be God if he was finite. This understanding helps us in pursuing him in relationship. If we know that we are not equal to him, it should affect the dynamic between us and God. Also, it should help us realize his awesomeness, that a limitless God would desire such a personal relationship with his people. We can communicate with him through prayer, reading his word. We can experience his love and trust that he hears us when we speak and knows our bodies hearts, minds, better than we do. Understanding our inequality to God should also be helpful as to how we respond in pursuit of him. Knowing the grace we're under in Jesus should motivate us to obey him, not out of some obligatory sense of duty, but because of our eternal awe in receiving such undeserved love. We didn't do anything to receive God's love, so it's difficult for us to grasp with our minds this love bestowed upon us without conditions, is it not? After all, humans have been putting conditions on everything. Do X for me and I'll do Y. Or you don't deserve X because you didn't do Y. God says to us, no, you don't deserve my love. But I want to give you that love anyways. I want to give you a way back to me, so I'll give you my son, Jesus. We don't have to fully understand this loving grace. But we can receive it, appreciate it, and have it motivate us. If such a God chose to love us by giving up his own son, then doesn't that love make him worth submitting to? Verse 16. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So James isn't just talking to non-believers here. He's also including believers. It's easy to point fingers to the non-believers and think that at least we're on the right path. That kind of arrogant attitude is partly what is being addressed. Instead, we need to take care of remembering that we are in the middle of our own sanctification and will always be pursuing growth in Christ. As Christians, we haven't arrived 
we don't have it all figured out. We all continually need and have God's grace in our lives, so we should always try to extend that grace to others. Because we experience this in our lives and see it throughout God's word, we can't claim ignorance, though. If we've accepted God and our Heavenly Father and, uh, and acknowledged that He has done for us in Jesus Christ, what He has done for us in Jesus Christ, then we must accept that any boasting of ourselves is selfish pride that leads us to regard ourselves as more important than Him. The meaning of what God has done for us is lost. The gospel message is lost. If we live our daily lives with an attitude of self-reliance and giving credit for what happens in our life to ourselves, then we dismiss God. We need to remember who we are in Christ. God has given us purpose to conform to the image of His Son and to glorify Him in making Him the focal point of our lives. If we live out of arrogant self-reliance and think higher of ourselves than we ought, then we are not being a good representative of Jesus to the world. We are not being light in darkness. When we choose our self-pride over our humble pride in Christ, we risk sending a message to this world that we know better than God. Ultimately, we are saying we are, we are our own God. We then are cheapening God's grace for us. We should want to strive to honor God as creator and show that he is why we have this life and the reason why we make the choices that we do. Verse 17. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. We as Christians are usually very concerned about not sinning. We focus in on the need to battle it and not have it run our lives. We teach how bad it is and hammer into our brains how it has broken our relationship with God. It's right to understand sin in this way so we can know how much we need to be rescued from it certainly matters to battle sin daily and know how much we need Jesus. But sometimes it seems we think not sinning is just not doing anything bad. And if we succeed at that, then we are staying the good Christian course and we're good. Sinning doesn't only mean not acting bad in some way. There's another part to sin as well. Sinning can also involve not doing the good that we know we should. Once a Christian has experienced a heart transformation from their former to new self, they hopefully know what God has done for them, which then turns into a desire to do good because of their faith under the light of salvation rather than selfish pride. We begin to understand that any good we do is because of God and the Holy Spirit we now have in our hearts. We were a people separated from God, but now reunited to Him through our faith in Jesus. 
We are now a new person that knows better than the person we were before. With the help of the Holy Spirit and God's Word, we can make God-honoring choices in life where before we couldn't. Our standard goes from self-serving to Jesus-serving. We begin to want to be satisfied through honoring God more than honoring ourselves. Knowing the standard in Jesus gives us new perspective on our life, which allows us to desire to share our newfound perspective with others by sharing the good news of the gospel message of salvation with others. Striving to be intentional with relationships. This doesn't just mean with non-Christians either. This means with Christians alike. And yes, even with our church family. Not sharing from an arrogant, boastful attitude, but with a sincere desire to want others to have what we have in Christ. We do this out of love for others because God first loved us. I hope as we leave here today, we can be encouraged by God's love. Through his love, we learn to be boastful in what he has done in salvation and not in our own achievements. Worldly achievements don't go with us to the next life, but godly ones, done in Christ's name, do. We can strive to make a profit or make plans in our life, but it is with what attitude and lens are we doing these things? Is it with an arrogant self-reliance and self-glorification or humble enthusiasm for what God has done for us and in glorifying him? God's love is also to give us motivation in obeying his word, growing in relationship with him and sharing the gospel with others. God loves his people through his son Jesus, not because he had to, he had to but because he chose to for the good of his people and his glorification. We have a God that loves us. We can find peace and security in our identity in Christ. And God wants us to rely on him because he wants us to know his love surpasses any human love. It's the purest of love, a love we can't match in this world or even fully understand, but he has given it to us. God knows we are not perfect and can never be perfect. But he has given us Jesus and his perfect life, serving his people, giving himself on the cross in our place and overcoming death that we might believe and be saved to himself. I want to end with uh, Jeremiah 9, verses 23 through 24. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, 
and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord.